0: Welcome to the Island's Christian Church Podcast. We're so glad you're listening with us today. You can worship with us in person in Savannah, Georgia, or with our live stream every Sunday at 10 a.m. Take a minute to subscribe to this podcast to hear a new message every Monday. Thanks for listening. Hey, we're going to continue this series that we started last week on Ephesians, and we don't do a lot of Through the Books of the Bible series because, number one, they get really long, and this one's going to be really long. And and so, but we're going to walk through the the book of the Bible uh, called Ephesians, and Ephesians is a letter written to Christians by a guy named Paul who was an early Christian leader, and the letters that we see in the New Testament are letters written to churches to help them live out their faith. Because I don't know if you guys realize this or not, churches can get messy. Did you guys know that? Anybody know that? Right, churches can get dysfunctional. They can get messy uh, because people are messy, and people can get dysfunctional, and and churches can all of a sudden not get a you know get things going well all that well, and they can lose sight of what the mission is and what they're supposed to be doing. And so, all the letters that you read in the New Testament, like Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, this is a, a guy. Most of the letters are written by a guy named Paul, and he's writing these groups of Christians. And he's saying, hey, this is how you live out your faith. Yeah, you believe this great stuff about Jesus, but this is what it looks like when you start living out your faith, when you start following Jesus in your everyday life. And so remember that as we're walking through this letter uh, to the Ephesian Christians, what we're reading is instructions from a Christian leader to Christians on how to do this thing. Because sometimes following Jesus can be hard. Anybody want to agree with me on that? Right? Sometimes following Jesus can be hard. And so this is what we're, we're walk, walking through this letter for. Now today, we're looking at a part of the uh, text in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be in uh, verse 15 through verse 23. So if you want to grab that, your smartphone or your Bible, and you want to look at that, chapter 1, verse 15 through 23. And we're going to be looking at mostly what Paul is praying for, for these Ephesian believers. Have you, ever, um, have you ever felt this like desire to pray for someone and you just didn't know what to pray for for them? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like you felt bad for them, you felt hurt for them, and you're just like, I really wish like, I could do something for them. I want to do something for them. And so you kind of think, well, I'll pray for them. And then you, you go to start like this, and you go, so I'll just use Stacia for an example. Let's say I'm going to pray for Stacia. And I go to start, I'm like, dear God, um, Stacia, I, I, just, I just pray for Stacia. I just pray for Stacia. And you find yourself just like, praying. I just pray for Stacia. Just help her, God. Just be with her. And you're uncertain as to exactly what to pray for. And so you end up kind of not praying. You end up, And you end up just kind of having positive feelings for her. And you end up saying things like, I just hope everything works out for her. Instead of really knowing what to pray for for someone. And so we're going to look at a text today that uh, Paul tells us what he's praying for for the Ephesian believers. And we're going to pick up two things in this text. Number one, we're going to learn more about our identity, who we are in Christ, which is what the uh, letter of Ephesians is wrestling with, who you are in Christ. So we're going to learn more about our identity, who we are in Christ, in Paul's prayer. But we're also going to learn how we can pray for someone. How what, like It's almost like a model. When we're not sure what to pray for for someone, this is actually an amazing thing to pray for someone because, number one, they really need what we're going to see today. right? They really need it. Number two... Um, it, when, we, when people have what Paul prays for, for us and for the Ephesian believers, when people have that, everything else can be, you know, can be endured. Right? When, when we look at this text today, if we have what Paul's praying for, if we have that in our lives, we can get through almost anything. all right? So, so when we're not sure what to pray for someone, we're going to see in this text, hey, this is something we can pray for someone. And if they have these things, they can get through anything. Does that make sense? If they have these things, they can get through anything. And so uh, let's start with Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Again, just keep in mind, letter being written. So verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His inglorious inheritance in His holy people, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. And then he describes the power. That power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, And every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who dwells, who fills everything in every way. So the first thing I want you to see, go back to verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. The very first thing I want you to see is that Paul gets a report. And this was common for Paul. Like he had all these workers that were out kind of working with him and for him. And so they would go out to the churches where he had planted or he was uh, communicating with. And they would go and check on guys. And they would go and check on the church. It would be like if some people showed up here and said, Hey, we just want to know how things are going. How are you guys doing? And we thought, and we said, Hey, we're doing really well. Like Jesus is really alive among us. We really sense his presence. We're all growing in our faith. We're being kind to each other. You know, it's kind of amazing and we're being patient with one another. We're really seeing Jesus in our presence and we're loving one another. We're loving God's people. It's really amazing what's happening here. And we gave that report to this person and then they got you know, in their car and they drove back to somewhere and they, and they gave that report to kind of their boss, right? And so that's what's happened with Paul. He's gotten a report about the church at Ephesus. And what does the report said? The report has said that the people at Ephesus really have got it going right with Jesus. They're growing in their faith. They're maturing in their faith. I heard this week that um, being mature in Christ is simply thinking like Jesus. Thinking like Jesus. Because you know what? If you start thinking like Jesus, guess what you'll start doing? You'll start acting like Jesus, right? We all spend a lot of time trying to act like Jesus. (laughs) The problem is, is all of us can put on a pretty good show. Anybody else here can put on a pretty good show. But you can't fake thinking like Jesus, right? And so they get the report. Hey, Paul gets the report. Hey, the Ephesian Christians are growing up in maturity. They're thinking like Jesus. They're acting like Jesus. They're, they're talking like Jesus. They're functioning like Jesus. It's amazing. So the Ephesian Christians have the vertical part of their faith going right. They are walking with Jesus and growing in Jesus. It's amazing. But he also hears that the horizontal part of their faith is going well. The horizontal part of their faith, which is they're loving other people really well. They're loving God's people. And love just simply means they're thinking the best of and wanting the best for and, and giving of themselves for others. So so stop for me. Think now. Look at this. Paul gets this report that says the Ephesian Christians are loving Jesus and following Jesus, but they're also loving one another. And that causes him to thank God for them. And we can understand that. Like if you've worked really hard with a teammate at your job before and you've invested in them and you've tried to like help them, you know, do the job and get better and, and one day they kind of they get it and they start like doing the job better and you look at the the work you've done and you see it paying off in their life, doesn't that make you feel good? Right? You're like, I did not waste the six months training that person up, right? They actually figured out what I was trying to teach them how to do, and they're actually doing it better than I ever thought they would do. That's that's all Paul is thanking God for. Paul's going, I invested in you. I poured my life into you. Paul actually spent two years in Ephesus. So he's invested in these people. He's given so much of his life to these people. And then he hears that it's paying off, that it's working. And he thanks God for that. He thanks God for that. And so then he tells them, hey, I want you guys to know, as I'm thanking God for you, I want you to know that I've been praying for you. And I've been praying for uh, specific things for you, very specific things. And I want you to understand that that, uh, the Ephesian Christians were under some uh, persecution. They were under some turmoil. There was some drama in their community. Uh, Christianity was not really that well accepted in the community. It was kind of looked down on. Uh, And so I want you to realize that Paul doesn't Pray for them to be strong and to be tough and to endure the the difficulties that they're facing. He doesn't pray for that. He actually prays for something that's way more valuable that if they have this, they will be able to endure whatever's coming at them, including death. That no matter what comes at them, if they have this, they will be able to endure anything that comes at them. So when you're thinking about praying for someone um, and you're not sure what to pray for, what we're going to see in this text is this is a really clear thing you can pray for for someone we can sum it up this way number 1 he prays for them to know god better to know god better number 2 he prays for them to know with their hearts the hope and the power that god has given them through the resurrected son jesus all right so he's pray- he's praying for them to know god better and he's praying for them to know with their hearts the hope and the power that god has given us in the resurrected jesus now, let's look back at verse 17 real quick, and let's talk about this idea of him praying for them to know God better. So verse 17 says, I keep asking, that's important. When you're reading the Bible, that's important. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Now, if you ever prayed for someone, you prayed for, you prayed for someone, and you prayed for them one time, you ever done that? And you're like, Lord, just help them get through that difficult time, and then you like, that's it? I mean, I've done that, right? But that's not what Paul's describing here. Paul's not saying, well, I want you guys to know in in Ephesus that I prayed for you one time. No, Paul's saying, I've I've been praying for you. I, I didn't just pray one time that you would know God better and that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. No, I've been praying for you and I've been going to God on your behalf and I've been praying over and over for you. But Paul is saying that it's been the consistent norm for me to pray like this for you. To over and over again go to God and say, God, I want these people in Ephesus to have a, a deeper knowledge of you. I want these people in Ephesus to have a deeper intimacy with you. I want them to know you better. Right? He's doing this over and over and over again. Now in verse 17, Paul prays that, that God would give them the spirit of uh, revelation and wisdom. And if you look in your Bible, the word spirit is probably capitalized. That's because Paul is referring to the Holy Spirit. And what Christians believe—if you're not a Christian—you know this is kind of interesting. Well, what Christians believe is that when we uh, when we give our lives to Jesus, when we place our faith in Jesus, that the Holy Spirit, which is uh, you know the third member of the Trinity—the Father, the Son, and the Spirit—that we believe He comes and indwells inside of us and lives inside of us. That God comes and lives inside of us. The Holy Spirit lives here, and He leads us and He guides us. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to give you wisdom. And revelation, right? One of the goals, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to come into your life and to lead you with wisdom, like, you know, knowledge of what God would do if He were in your situation, and revelation, like stuff you could not figure out by yourself, stuff you could not discern through internet searches and Google searches, and nothing. There's no way you could get this information unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. So, this is what the Holy Spirit does He lives inside of Christians and He leads us with wisdom and with revelation, but to what end? To the end of knowing God better, knowing God better. So God wants you to know him better. So he gives you the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. Not to like, we think about the Holy Spirit as kind of like the, um, you know, Christians have a tendency to think this way, like the Holy Spirit's like our, you know, you know, like don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, right? That's not, that's absolutely not it, The Holy Spirit's actually convicting you of who you are in Christ. The Holy Spirit's telling you that, hey, you can know God better. I'm giving you wisdom and revelation. So this is how it functions. And so Paul's praying that that we would be so in tune with the Holy Spirit that we would have revelation and wisdom from the Holy Spirit for the purpose of knowing God better. Now, remember last week, we said um, that we were adopted into God's family. We used to talk about the term adoption. You are inside of God's family. That was done for you through Jesus Christ. You were chosen and brought into the family of God. We talked about that last week. And so you can't, like, you can't listen for the Holy Spirit to make you closer to God. Because you can't get any closer than son or daughter. You're in the family. That was a gift given to you. right? But what we can all have a deeper experience of the Father. Now this, we understand this in the human realm. We understand this. My oldest sister is adopted. Uh, She's a good bit older than me. I won't say her age because she watches online from time to time, and she probably wouldn't like that. She's adopted, and my father used to say to her, uh, Sonia, all these other four children I got stuck with, I had no choice in the matter. But I went out and picked you out. I wanted you. And so he chose her to be in the family. And my sister, Sonia, she was a born hard of hearing and later in life lost most of her hearing. And my dad advocated for her throughout her teenage years and into her early adulthood. He wrote letters to U.S. senators and state senators uh, trying to help her get services in order to go to school because in, in the time that she was growing up, we didn't have near as many services for people um, who were equipped differently. And so my dad advocated for her. And what happened is that advocation from my dad uh, on her behalf, that grew their relationship deeper. Now, my sister engaged in that relationship with my dad and had a, a better relationship with him through those years. But did that make her the daughter? That didn't make her the daughter, right? That just made the experience of their relationship richer. What made her the daughter was my dad's choice to go and choose her, and to legally make her his daughter. Do you see what I'm saying? And so, and so Paul's not praying that we would get to know God better so we can be his son or daughter. No, that's settled. That's done. You receive that as a gift from faith, through faith in Jesus Christ. right? That is a gift. But what Paul is saying is that you can be in the family and not know dad really well. Anybody going to say, yeah, that's, that's true. That's kind of me. And that's okay. Like, it's totally fine, right? And God loves you. He's for you. But you see, Paul is praying that we would have this wisdom and revelation from the Holy Spirit so that we can know God better. And this is unique to Christianity, by the way. So if you're unsure about Christianity or you're like not sure what you believe about this whole Jesus stuff and you have other worldviews you think are just as valid or just as good, Christianity is completely unique in this arena. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. There is no other religion that offers up their deity or their deities as being interested in your life. There's not a one. There's not a one. Every other uh, religion or deity or deities, their their God or their deity or their deities is separate from you, and that's all there is to it. That God has no interest in you. You either got to perform well enough or be good enough. You've got to like believe the right things, you got to do all the right stuff in order for that deity or deities to accept you or bless you. Right? But that's not what Christian this is unique to Christianity now. Christianity believes in a God that's called uh, the the Heavenly Father. He's a father. The Bible calls him a father over and over and over again because, again, we are adopted into a family through Jesus, and so he becomes our father. We become his son and daughter. And the the, the reality is, is that Heavenly Father, like any good earthly father, is interested in his children, and he loves his children, and he wants his children to be close to him, not just physically, but I want my children to be emotionally close to me. I want my children to, to engage with me and to talk with me about their lives. And, and, and you won't find another worldview or another religion. And in the world anywhere that offers up their God as being interested in your life. Christianity is the only one. And that's because God knows that if you come to know Him better, if you come to know Him better, your life will be better. Now, am I saying that everything's going to go smooth if you start knowing God better? Absolutely. <laughs> no no way. I'm not saying that at all. Because sometimes when we get to know God better, life gets harder. But when it gets harder, we have this resource of a relationship with our Heavenly Father who walks us through those hard things, who takes us through those hard things. We have Him as our companion going, coming alongside of us. And so, I also want to point out one last thing. This idea that Paul prays for the Ephesian Christians to know God better, there's an assumption in there that right now, wherever you are on the continuum of knowing God, you can know Him better. Every single one of us can know Him better. Because the riches of God are beyond comprehension. They're beyond depth. We can't get to the bottom of who He is. He is our Heavenly Father. His His love is beyond understanding. His grace is beyond understanding. His judgment is beyond understanding. His justice is beyond understanding. His greatness, His power is beyond understanding. But you have been invited to know Him better wherever you are. So if you're not sure how to pray for someone, you could pray like this. Dear God, will you help Stacia to use her again? Dear God, will you help Stacia to know you better? Now, that's a prayer you could pray, right? You could could write that on a card and pray that for someone that you know and love every day, couldn't you? You could pray that every day. You could say, dear God, will you help know you better? See, you and I can all know God better. So that's the first thing Paul prays for is that uh, the Ephesian Christians would have revelation from the Holy Spirit so that they can have a deeper relationship with God who's interested in them and who loves them and is for them. Now, the next thing Paul prays for is uh, an understanding from the heart, right? He wants them to understand something from the heart. Because sometimes he knows this in writing this, and we know this as humans. Sometimes we can understand something here. Anybody got this? You can understand something logically, but it doesn't really change your behavior, right? So this is why you can tell someone with with addiction. They can understand in their addiction, right? that this is this is terrible and this is bad. They logically understand this is killing me. But then there's something happening in the heart and the emotions and in the, in, the, in, the, in the deeper part of the being that drives them back to that addiction over and over and over again. And so Paul knows that there's this separation between understanding something logically and reasonably and understanding it with our heart, understanding it with our inner being. And so Paul, this next thing he's going to pray for them is that they would understand... The hope to which they've been called and the power that they've been given, the hope to which they've been called and the power they've been given, and they would not understand it logically or reasonably, but they would understand it with their heart. This is why he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Verse 18, he says, I'm praying that your eyes would be, uh, the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So let's just stop right there. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. You have been called to hope. He's called you to a hope. And we understand hope, even if we don't use the term, we understand hope. Hope is the thing that keeps you going. Hope is the thing. Causes you to get one more treatment when you're not sure you can get any more treatments. I just had a conversation with someone in the room this morning whose daughter's been battling cancer for a long time. And it didn't look good for a long time. And they kept treating, and they kept working, and they kept serving her, and they kept loving her. And she's a grown, is one of her grown children. And that child, that grown woman, who, or this mother, is basically her child, she just told me today. She said my daughter's doing so well. You know what? You know what? It's not just the treatments that help you get well. It's not just the doctors that help you get well. You know what else helps you get well? Hope. Hope that I'm going to beat this. Hope that I'm going to get through this. Hope that I'm going to win. Hope that it's going to be okay. Hope is what causes us to keep doing the hard stuff when we don't want to do it anymore. Right? When we're done and we're finished, we want to throw our hands up, we want to walk away, we're just, I'm tired of this marriage, I'm tired of dealing with this relationship, I don't want to deal with this thing anymore. Hope says, well, wait a minute, what if it got better? What if on the other side of this it was different? What if we just pushed through? What if we didn't give up? What if we're right around the corner from everything being different? That is what hope is. And Paul says, I'm praying for you that you would have the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you would have a deep understanding in your inner being that you've been called to a hope. Okay, So hope's important. We need hope. We can all agree with that, okay? But what is the hope that God has called you to? What is this, you know, He's called you to a hope. So what is this hope that He's called you to? Now, you might think at this point, because it's a, it's a church service, as a preacher. So you would think at this point, I would be like, He's called you to the hope of heaven, and heaven's going to be great, and hold on. In which, that's, that's kind of true, but that's not what this text says. That's actually not what this text says. Interestingly, um, the object of hope that we've been called to is not what we will inherit, this is important, but what God will inherit. inherit. It's not what we will inherit, but what God will inherit. Let me just, you see, the text says that we've been called to a hope uh, of His. Riches of His riches, of His glorious inheritance in His holy people. So, what are the glorious riches in this text? I'm going to give you a hint. I'm actually not going to give you a hint, I'm just going to tell you the answer. Okay? Um, We hope in the extravagant riches that God has prepared for Himself. Now, what are the riches in this text? You want to guess what they are? You. You are the riches. You are the inheritance of God. You are the glorious inheritance. Now, you're going, wait a minute. Hold on. What are you talking about? See, here's the thing. Jesus was sent to buy you back. We talked about that last week. To redeem you, right? To bring you in the family. And so that now, God, the Father who sent Jesus to get you back, He's inheriting you from the Son's death. Isn't this beautiful? He's inheriting you from the Son's death and the Son's resurrection. He's getting you, 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 you are His riches. You, you are so loved by Him. And I tell you this all the time. God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. But you know what? God likes you. God likes you. I know we walk around all the time going, I don't think God likes me. I mean, I'm a terrible person. You are a terrible person. That's okay. God still likes you because Jesus died for our terribleness. We're not like God. We kick terrible people out. You see, we've been made brothers and sisters of Jesus. And so we have been brought into the family. And so now we are the riches that God is looking forward to that he will inherit. You are the riches. Think about it this way. This, this is a terrible analogy again, but I mean, come on, I'm dealing with some heavy stuff here, right? I mean, this is the best I can do. Imagine you have somebody coming over to your house this week and it's actually somebody you want to see, you know, not like somebody you're like, oh my gosh. Like, is your cousin coming again? I'm not talking like that. I'm talking like this is a long-lost friend, somebody you love so much, someone you just are passionate, like you just, you love them so much and you haven't seen them in a long time and they're bringing their, their spouse and their kids and you, man, you guys are just so, like you haven't seen each other in 10 years and now you guys got kids and they have kids and you're all gonna like come to the house, they're gonna come to your house and they're gonna spend you know, a few days with you. Would you prepare for their arrival? What would you do? Would you? Would you maybe buy some special food to cook? Yeah, right. You'd be like, we're pulling out all the stops, huh? I'm going to get some rib eyes and we're gonna like, we're gonna get everything. Would you make sweet treats? Would you? Would you have like a, a buffet full of chocolate cakes and lemon pie, and like, would you have all that just laid out, right? Uh, would you have some uh, uh, beverages for your friends? You have some, you know, you have some great stuff laid out for your friends. Would you have their room ready? Uh, would you? Would the junk still be in the spare room? Would you still have all that junk on top of their bed? Like all that stuff that's around the floor. And cl- would you have all that? Or would you have their room ready? Would, you have it- would anybody have their room ready? You'd have their room ready, right? And maybe, maybe you might even put out some special stuff, maybe like the mints on the pillow, right? You go a little extra step for them, you know? Maybe put a candle in their room, have it burning when they get there. Why would you do this? Because when they come to your house, you've been looking forward to that moment to receive them. And their arrival is a gift to you. When you arrive, when you arrive, your arrival to God is a gift to Him. That's how much you're loved. You are loved that much that He is preparing a space for you because you are His inheritance, you are His riches. You are that valuable to your Heavenly Father. Isn't that outstanding? And so the hope to which we've been called is a hope that says, God is crazy about me. He loves me. I am His inheritance. So the question is, well, how does this change the way I live? How do I face tomorrow differently? Well, ultimately, you know that no matter what happens in this life, as I tell my children on the regular, no matter what happens in this life, this is not the only life you're going to get. And that Yes, during this life, our role is to endure some brokenness and some loss and to walk through that in this world, both with others and the brokenness and loss that we suffer. And we know that that suffering and pain is a reality of this life. And your desire for it to go away is actually the promise that one day it will. That's why you desire for it to go away, because one day it actually will. And I can endure and push through the suffering and the pain and the heartache of this life because this is not the only life I'm going to get. I have another life. So I'm going to be faithful in this life. I'm going to, be, I'm going to trust the Lord in this life. I'm going to push through in this life because I have another life that, I've, that, that I'm anticipating. But check this out. More than I'm anticipating it, the host is really anticipating it. And that's how I can push through whatever I'm facing, because I have this hope of being the inheritance of God one day. And the last thing, really quickly, Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so that we would know the incomparably great power for us who believe. The incomparably great power for us who believe. So we have hope, that we, and we have power. God has given you power. And we use the term in our culture right now uh, called, empower, we say empower, we need to empower people. Have you guys ever used that term? You ever heard anybody use that term? We need to be empowering people. You know what I'm talking about? We need to be empowering people. Um, the, the, the idea of that is that somebody doesn't have as many resources or doesn't have as much power and that we need to give them resources and we need to give them power. You know what the assumption in that is? Is that I have power to give them. Do you understand that? Like there's an assumption that there's a there's like a bank of power somewhere. We're gonna go and get some of that power, and we're gonna give it to this person, and and that is true because I do have resources and I do have empowerment that other people don't have. And so if I'm going to give you power, it's gonna have to come from who? Me. So I'm gonna give you some of my resources, some of my power. It, it's um. So my I'll, I'll explain it this way. My daughter Maddie raises uh, money for Golf for Africa every year for her birthday and other times randomly throughout the year. She raised money for this organization that digs wells uh, in rural Zambia to battle the water crisis. And I don't know if you know anything about the water crisis, but it is uh, seriously not good. And clean drinking water changes lives of people for generations. And so Maddie's raised enough money over the past few years for 50 people to have clean drinking water the rest of their life. Right, And it's really more than that when you add up the generations because their children will have that drinking water and their children will have that drinking water. So it's really just expansive. But she continues to raise money for that. And I don't don't know if you, what she says is, this is what she says when she explains it to people. She says, you know, I just have a voice and I have a platform and I want to use my voice and my platform for someone who needs something that doesn't have a voice and doesn't have a platform to get it. They don't have the voice and they don't have the platform, but I have it. So I'm going to use my power to empower them. Do you understand how this works? And so this is exactly what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. God sent Jesus to die for you to bring you into the family, and one of the transactions that took place was not only your salvation and you're gonna, you know, be saved, but one of the transactions is that you have been given empowerment from the source of power. And Paul is trying to make clear to us when you read this text just how much power he has, because he has so much power, because he says the power that I'm that that. Paul says the power that God has given you, the power that you've been, been given is the same power or the same strength that God used when he took Jesus who was dead and made his heart beat again and made his brain start acting again and made his uh, uh, you know uh, His lungs start taking an air again. It's that same power that God went, okay, you're going to now get out of the grave and be alive, but it's more than that. He then took Jesus and took him, put him at the pinnacle of all of creation, both the spiritual realm and the physical realm and made him in charge of of everything, And Paul is saying, this is the power that you, as followers of Jesus, as people who have faith in Jesus, this is the power your Heavenly Father has given you. Okay, that sounds great. So what? Right? <laughs> you see, what we don't realize is that we go into so many of our struggles and trials and difficulties in our own power. We're determined to figure it out ourselves. We're determined to use our wisdom and our knowledge and our experience. And we don't understand that we've been given power from God to walk through and get through this very difficult life. We don't tap into it. We we hear that logically. All of you went, okay, that makes sense head-wise. He raised Jesus from the dead, and I have access to that power. But we don't get that here. This is why Paul's praying for it. Because we don't get that here. We don't understand that no matter what I'm facing, I have the promise that the God who raised Jesus from the dead, as Paul says in Romans, the God who raised Jesus from the dead has made me more than a conqueror. I can overcome everything through His power. So, this is who you are as a Christian. You are someone who's been adopted into the family of God, and you have the ability to know God better. You can know the Heavenly Father better. He wants that, actually. You are someone who the Holy Spirit lives inside of, if you're a Christian. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you and is offering you revelation and wisdom so that you can know the hope to which you've been called and the power that you've been given. That's true of you right now. And I want to tell you that when we pray for these things, for the people we love and for ourselves, to know God better, to know the hope and to know the power, when we pray for those things, our lives are different. Our lives are better. Now, are they morally superior to other people? I mean, probably not. But actually, that's not the goal of this, is to be morally superior to other people. The goal of this is to be dependent upon the Savior Jesus. To trust Him only for our future. And when we begin to have those things, I know God better, I know the power, and I know the hope to which I've been called, my life is different. So, I said at the beginning, if you don't know how to pray for someone, let's talk about how we can pray for someone. I'm going to teach you a prayer, and this is how we're going to end our day and you can use this prayer this week take a take a grab your camera and this will be up on the screen take your camera and y'all take a picture of that right pray that pray this right here for people we're going to pray it together so everybody right now think of someone you know and love just one name i know you have a million people but think of someone you know and love you got it you got the person all right father will you help know you more and more through your Spirit? Will you remind them in their heart that they have hope for a future? And will you remind them in their heart that they have power through your resurrected Son, Jesus? Father, give us the courage to do this every week, every day, not do this just one time but to take this person that we've named and to pray for this prayer over their life every single day. I know, God, this is a prayer you want to answer. You desire to answer this prayer because these are in line with the gifts that you want to give us. This is already your will to give us. And so while we should pray for healing and we should pray for health and all those things, But Lord, let's not forget that the greatest thing that you've given us as uh, followers of Jesus is this ability to know you better, this deep spiritual heart knowledge that we have hope, that we are your inheritance, that you are longing for our arrival. And God, remind us that you have given us power. You've given us power. Thank you so much, Jesus for dying on the cross for us so we could be adopted into the family. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you, friends, for being here today. Have a blessed week and a wonderful rest of your day.